Welcome to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders, hosted by Mike Sakopoulos and produced by the American Association for Physician Leadership. Algorithms, artificial intelligence, and decision trees help sort and process information. They are powerful tools when properly applied to the field of medicine, but few would argue that they alone are sufficient. Gifted clinicians exercise a high degree of emotional intelligence. The ability to relate to patients and to read their emotions is an art. An art patients, through their sickness and fear, crave. Today, we're going to focus upon emotional intelligence for physician leaders by speaking with an author and national expert. This is a conversation that is both important and worth your time. Next on Sound Practice. My guest today is Susan Childs. Susan has over 30 years' experience in the medical practice management field. She's a national speaker, and Susan is also the author of the Emotionally Intelligent Physician Leader. Susan Childs, welcome to Sound Practice. Thank you very much. Well, it's my pleasure to have you. Um, I'm interested, how did the book project get started? You know, it's interesting because everything kind of comes into being from where you've been doing things for a million years. I look back at my presentations and work that I've done with practices and when I was a manager and discover that it's kind of all coming to this, which is, I want people to be nice to each other. And then a few years ago, communication started to kind of go backwards and people didn't talk to each other as much. And I wanted physicians and nurses and managers all to kind of feel the same thing and be aware of each other because everyone plays a role, but I wanted everyone to feel a part of that. And also with uh, Journal of Medical Practice Management, I've been writing for them for many years, I think about 15 years with Nancy Collins, wonderful person to work with. And, you know, one article became another article became another thing. And then I was talking to my mother and she said, you should write a book. And I said, maybe I should. And then it kind of came into being because I promised her I would do it. And you don't break promises to your mom. So, but, but I really love (laughs) it. It's true. (laughs) Yes. And it's about communication and it's actually um, um, dedicated to my mother who always said to me, you are the only one who has to live with yourself the rest of your life. And when you think about that, that's a really good leadership decision, because what are you going to do with that power once you get it? Because you have to live with that the rest of your life, and it really affects everything. So it's about leadership and people respecting each other all along the way. It sounds like our mothers knew each other. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But your, your book goes into, obviously, emotional intelligence, but also emotional quotient or, or, or EQ. Maybe you could tell me the, the difference of the two. Help me with definitions. You know, they're really the same. People call it EQ now, but it was called EI. It's really the same. It's your emotional quotient or emotional intelligence. And when you look up definition, you'll find 50 million different definitions, but they all kind of come to the same thing. And it's about the ability to understand what you're doing, where you're coming from, the awareness of how you're coming off to others. And then there's relationship management in that when you interact with others, and also when you make decisions, everything going towards a positive result, the emotional intelligence, that's what you want. It's just being aware. It's your instincts kicking in. That's what I think it is. Everyone has it. You just have to be in tune with it. Is it measurable or quantifiable? Oh, yeah. 
I mean, tell me, how do I mean, we how do we test you know, for it? Can I measure it? You can measure it by how well you can read somebody. You can measure it by the results. For example, there was somebody I thought that was angry at me. I wasn't sure. I started walking towards them. They literally turned around. They were mad at me. I could tell. So I knew how to approach. But if I wasn't paying attention to the body language, I might not have known that. So I approached very softly and we took care of it. No problem. Um, you know, you're just reading people. So you can really see that. You stop, look and listen, and you're amazed what you see. Do you think some people are just naturally better at this than others? Some are, some really are. Um, actually, my son, they told me that my son was very compassionate in the first grade, and you don't often see that. So, you know, it, there is a naturalness to it. Some people are naturally good listeners, and those are very compassionate people. You know, think of mental therapists that have to listen to people's problems all day. That must be hard. You know, that must be really hard to take all that in. And then they get good, evenly positive based advice. That's emotional intelligence. That's really tuning into that person, seeing where they're coming from, and also aware of how you're coming off when you're relaying that message. Every interaction you have makes a difference. And think of how many you have every day. Think of how many you've had already today. And you can make someone feel good, or you can make someone feel unappreciated or bad or disregarded. It's up to you. But it seems to me that it's not only about the other person in the interaction, but also about yourself. Would you agree? Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's definitely, it starts with you, with, with the personal relationship with your self-awareness. Yes, it starts with you. What are my cues? What sets me off? There are certain people that walk in the room, they just set you off and you automatically react. And that's another thing is responding instead of reacting because there's an emotional there's actually a physical connection to emotional intelligence. It goes through your brain, through your feeling part first, through your limbic system. So you feel your emotion first. That's why when you hear a, a song, it brings back a memory and it invokes this great memory. That's why when you smell a certain perfume or shampoo or something, you remember something. So it takes about five seconds to go to your brain before you can make common sense out of it. That's why our mothers, yours included, I'm sure, said, count five before you say something, because that lets it go to the good part of your brain where you can think about it before you just react. So it's being aware of how you are. Just think about yourself in a meeting. You're going to meet with somebody and it's an uncomfortable situation. What you're going to do is you're not going to sit across a desk. You're going to sit catty corner, maybe even at a glass table if you can, or next to each other so that you're on the same side as them. You don't want something to be seen as a barrier. You pay attention, you don't look at your phone, you put your devices behind you. You give them 100% attention. That way you know you are giving everything of yourself to them. So then they end up giving it to you. It works every time. Great, great tips. How, for those interested, obviously they should go to your, your book, The Emotional Intelligent Physician Leader. But how, how do people kind of start to get into this? Um, how, how do you start to increase your emotional intelligence? You know, I think just sitting in a chair in your office or sitting in a chair in a lobby or sitting in a chair in a ballpark or a mall, watch people, watch the body language, watch how they interact, watch how they stand. Are their arms crossed? Are they receptive? Are they angry? You know, you can really tell a lot. You just have to tune into it. Everyone has it. We have been, we become so tuned out and physicians as well. You know, they become very competitive through school and the competitiveness and getting the diagnosis and the treatment, you know, it's a beautiful thing, but 
the competition becomes a barrier to being aware of yourself and how you're coming off. I was speaking to one graduate um, a physician who had just graduated and she said to me, you know, I know how to offer a diagnosis, but I don't know how to tell someone that their loved one just died. They don't, they're just beginning to teach communication and things like that in medical schools, which is really good. Dr. Flanagan in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, um, uh, has takes his medical students to uh, museums and has one of them look at the picture and the other one draw it. One person describes it and the other person draws it. That's a test in communication to see how well you can communicate. Even the simplest things sometimes are hard if you're not used to doing it. And that's communicating, not just spouting out what somebody needs to do. For example, delegating. When you go up to someone, the emotional intelligence with delegating and physicians need to delegate and they do, they need their time to see patients. So when you go up to a staff member or a manager, you don't say, here, I don't have time for this, just do this. You say, I hear you're great at spreadsheets or you're a great manager, I really want you to do this. It would help me with my monthly reporting. It would help me with my daily scheduling. And if you could do this for me, that would be great. Instead of here, I don't have time to do this because then it devalues the person you're giving it to. And that shows appreciation. In the, the practice of medicine, it's, it's both science and, and art. And it seems that you're getting to the aspect of, of the art of of medicine um and i'm interested because you said that it's being taught or started to be taught at certain medical schools or in certain um, uh, programs uh do you think that that's going to to increase because i will tell you that from my perspective it seems like uh, the emphasis is all on the science and very little on the art of medicine that's one of the reasons i wrote the book is because i don't want it to be a take a number thing I want it to be the whole thing is about the relationship between the physician and the patient. No one can replace that, but they're only 10% of the visit because there's administrative functions, there's money functions, there's all these things along the way, referrals, all this stuff that has to be done due to a lot of reasons. So when the physician finally gets to see the patient, that's the icing on the cake. And that's what we should all support and surround. And that's why they call us support staff. And you want your entire staff to be emotionally intelligent along with you because you want that same standard along the way. And that's where this book really helps. I'm hoping, you know, I'd love to get up with some medical schools to get to some students because this would be a great book for students. It's also a really good book for physicians who have been in practice for a long time, just as a reminder, you know, they have all these qualifications they have to do, they don't have a choice, but to bring back the human side into it. And there are many, many doctors that do that. There's a reason for concierge care. There's a reason for people who are doing direct pay. There are a reason for people who are on their own in independent practices, because if they can't get that independentness from, the, from a system, then a lot of times they just wanna see the patient. It might be a different lifestyle, but they get to actually say hello to the patient and spend time with them. There's one physician I set up that they come to him just because he listens to them. Now, a lot of doctors, I worked with an internal medicine doc. She was amazing. I shadowed her and the questions she asked, the emotional intelligence was incredible. But there are getting better. Doctors used to interrupt patients every 12 seconds. Now it's 18 seconds. So it is getting better. And I think they will be teaching more. I think there is more on the horizon. Do you think that the way um, compensation is currently configured with RVUs, relative work units, um, that it 
it cuts against the use of emotional intelligence and spending time with patients? If you're totally production RVU based, it might, especially with specialists that do surgery, things like that, that have the heavy hitters with the surgeries versus the office visits. But every physician decides what they want to do, where they want to spend their time. Hopefully, I mean, they have these huge loans when they come out of school. I totally understand it. But hopefully, as they do their residencies and they go around to different practices for four or five weeks, they really are able to do what their heart tells them to do. And that carries them through whatever they're doing. That also helps with emotional intelligence, because if you are where you want to be, that really makes it easier for you to convey that. So, for example, I was speaking with um, at the American College of Cardiology to residents about what practice do you want to be with and how do you interview? So I make all these suggestions, including go back a second time. Because you go back a first time, you get a first impression, just like any other job. Go back into that town a second time and drive around, spend a day there, spend a night there. See if you really want to spend time there because you're buying into the culture. And that's part of the emotional intelligence as well. How has technology impacted individuals' emotional intelligence? Individuals as a patient, I think it's great because I can get up with my doctor on a portal and have an answer in no time. I have a wonderful doctor. Um, I feel like I'm in touch. Um, as a physician, they will tell you they hate their EMR, but it also makes it easy to find the chart. So there are pluses and minuses with everything. And if you take it and you roll with it and use everything to the ultimate advantage, I think you can do that. It works for you. Technology can work very much for you. It can help you track patients. It can help you be in touch with patients. The patient portal is a great example. So the patient thinks it's the physician behind the curtain, but it might be the nurse. Mm -hmm. And that's okay. And if you cross-reference each other, then you support each other and they feel like the doctor is involved with that decision. That's good. That's emotional intelligence. That's being in tune with what the patient needs. Patients just want to be cared for. And if you give them that, they can do it. Is there a cultural or ethnic dimension to emotional intelligence? Not that I've seen. I think certain cultures are certainly more in tune. People who are more spiritual, just generally to me, seem to be more in tune with people's feelings. And that's not a religious statement or anything, but that's a very sure. good question. I would imagine certain cultures are more emotionally intelligent. I think the more time you spend in nature and not in a closed building with four walls and no windows in climate control, I think that, you know, that that kills your emotional intelligence. We all become climate controlled. So the more you're in tune with other people, the more you're in touch with other people. It could be Facebook. It could be a social thing, you know, but or outside in the woods. But yeah, the more you're in touch with other people, I think that's better. And how does age play into emotional intelligence? Do, do I be, increase my emotional intelligence as, as I age? That's a good question. Um, I think you would, because look at how many, I, I can read between the lines of so many things now than 20 years ago with so many situations. And that is a lot of emotional intelligence is reading between the lines. That's why your medical staff and everybody are so good with the patients because they know the patients. A lot of them know the cars when they're pulling into the driveway of the practice. So they really know the patients. Oh, she doesn't like to be late or she's always late or something like that. But I think it's generational too, you know? I remember growing up and there were some adults that said to me, children should be seen and not heard. 
And now <laughs> it's, and now it's, oh, what are your feelings? You know, tell me your feelings, you know? So yes, I think it's very much generational. And the more open we are, the better we are. So maybe um, we can drill down a little bit as a, as a, as a physician, why is it so important to have emotional intelligence? We've been talking about it, but maybe you could give me some specific examples. You know, they're so focused on their role as a physician um, and seeing that patient and knowing that there's 20 more patients waiting to be seen and 30 more phone calls waiting to be answered. I think it's just they have to stand back and see what's going on, looking at their schedule. Um, it's so important with every interaction they have. If they want patients to open up to them, they have to be open to it. Instead of dictating what to do, they have to ask the patient, what do you think? What do you want to do? There was one patient or one doctor I worked with that every time she walked into an exam room, she would look at the patient and say, there you are. Like she'd been looking for them all day. They felt like they were the center of the universe. And that's the way it should be. They walk into the room. And again, the physician visit is typically only 10% of the entire visit. So you really want that to count. You also want that to count with your staff. Because if you're nice to your staff, patients notice a lot more than you think. If you're kidding around a little too much and being a little too casual, patients don't like that. There has to be a decorum and professionalism in your practice. Friendliness is great, but they have to realize that you're the professional, you're the expert, but you're also working with them, seeing what they want to do, because it's a lifestyle thing. Are you going to be able to take this medicine for a week? Be honest with me, because if you're not, then I want to be able to say, let's try something else. Let's be real. And that's where the communication happens. Uh, my aunt Selma in um, in the book is a beautiful quote. She was married to my uncle Austin, who was chief of ophthalmology for Long Island College Hospital for like 38 years, Austin Fink. And she said to me, she has this beautiful quote and she talks about it being the soul of medicine. The relationship between the patient and the physician is the soul of medicine. And when they converse and they communicate, it takes it to a higher level and a new dimension. And that's when the trust comes in. And when you trust your physician and your physician trusts that you're going to be compliant, it's a win-win with positive outcomes all along the way. I know that I can call my doctor and ask them something. They're not going to give me a hard time. If a visit is needed, I'll do it. If not, we do it through the portal or a televisit. But there are so many ways to communicate. And that's why it's so important to have emotional intelligence. So you have better outcomes, better relationships, continuity of care, everything. Now, Susan, I, I have to admit, when I was reading your your book, The Emotional Intelligent Physician Leader, there's a a brief mention when you were a practice manager about how you would uh, recruit or, or or staff at um, at all different kinds of locations to always be be looking, even at uh, a coffee or donut uh, shop. And it strikes me in these days where we we have a difficulty finding uh, staff for practices that uh, that kind of unique approach. Uh, should be more widely embraced. Maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Actually, on the, I don't know if it was on the national news or the local news last night, they were saying that a lot of companies are taking degrees needed off of their qualifications when they're looking for a job. I will go with street smarts. You can teach anyone a task, but I will go with street smarts or country smarts or whatever you want to call it more than anything, because again, it's the emotional intelligence. If you know how to handle people, you can learn a task. When I was in tax accounting, there were really smart graduates that had just graduated college and they were doing work, but they didn't know how to call a client and have a conversation with them. So 
these things are really, really important. We have a big problem in the medical profession right now with providers suffering burnout. And I'm interested in your thoughts on how emotional intelligence or uh, working towards greater emotional intelligence could impact physician burnout. Any thoughts? Oh, it definitely hits it because it goes away because you become defensive and you start defending your own things, start putting other people down. But if physicians can do this, if they can look at their schedules, every time I go into an office, I say to them, look at your schedules. How are they? Oh, they're okay. And then they start looking at them going, well, maybe I could switch this around. Maybe I should do procedures on this day. And then I could leave at three o'clock and do my, or do my admin time at three o'clock. Physicians are working way too much. And time management is absolutely huge. So if they could look at some things and review some things, another thing to do is look at the time you have off, schedule that time off, make sure you have that in there. Because if you don't build that in, it's never going to happen. Build that admin time in. If you need to give yourself a little more time per patient, that's okay. The patient appreciates it. You can always go back to those six minute visits. I don't know how they do it, but the pressure is on there. So find ways to take pressure off yourself and make it easier for yourself. Look at your schedule. And I would say, you know, creating that culture of empathy with your staff so everybody is on the same level as you are and thinking about the same things that you are. That also helps. In our remaining few moments together, Susan, maybe you could tell me the target audience for your book. I think physicians for sure, new and young. Um, or older and more wiser. Older physicians have this bedside manner that is very compassionate. Um, there's a class to it. It's not an arrogance. And, and it's more of a bedside manner. It's more of a compassion for the patient. And we can reverse mentor. I think that's a beautiful thing. And I think we can all learn from each other. And I think this book, it, for physicians who are practice um, owners, it would be really good because it covers every facet of the practice for hospital docs. It covers everybody you might work with, with managing up. I mean, for stress and everything, I think it really helps um, physicians see their worth and maybe be able to sit back just a little bit and take a breath once in a while. And I see it helping administrators as well, working with physicians and seeing where they're coming from because everyone has their viewpoint and they're all valid. And really the physicians, are the big banana. Everybody should surround them and work around them for the patient. Everyone works on behalf of the patient. And this book helps everyone work on behalf of the patient. Well, well said. Now, I know that you um, speak nationally and, uh, and help providers and health systems with this topic of uh, um, emotional intelligence. If someone in our audience today wanted to reach out, how would they get a hold of you? Um, thank you. Um, my website is evohcc.com. It's Evolution Healthcare Consulting. And I'm located in North Carolina, but I work all over the place. So just look up Susan Fink Childs, and uh, you will find me on my website, and you can get in touch with me through there. The book is The Emotionally Intelligent Physician Leader. My guest has been Susan Childs. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you. It's been an honor. It's been great. My thanks to Susan Childs. Her book is The Emotionally Intelligent Physician Leader. Susan may be reached at schilds at evohcc.com. 
or by phone at 919-641-5373. In addition to her book, Susan Childs has prepared a self-study course on the topic of emotional intelligence for the American Association for Physician Leadership. My thanks also to the American Association for Physician Leadership for making this podcast possible. Please join me next time on Sound Practice. We release a new episode every other Wednesday. You've been listening to Sound Practice, the business podcast for physicians and healthcare leaders. Check out the show notes for this episode at soundpracticepodcast.com. If you have any suggestions for future episodes, we'd love to hear them. Email us at info at soundpracticepodcast.com. Subscribe to Sound Practice wherever you listen to podcasts so you can automatically receive our episodes. And please rate us and comment on the podcast in iTunes and Google Play. Sound Practice is presented and produced by the team at American Association for Physician Leadership. We are the world's premier organization for all aspects of physician leadership in every sector of healthcare. Learn more at physicianleaders.org. Had his holy cow, but man Robin went from Kapow.